Hello and welcome to DeFi 2.71 podcast. I'm your host, Seraphim, and today we're going to chat with Liz Yang from DFinity. We'll be discussing NFTs, Web3, decentralization of content, adult content creation, and lots of interesting things. So enjoy. This podcast is sponsored by Euler Finance. Euler is a decentralized lending platform built on Ethereum, allowing you to lend and borrow any ERC20 token that trades on Uniswap v3. So hello, Liz. How's it going? It's good to see you. Great. It's uh, so good to see you too. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Uh, I think the last time we've seen each other was in New York just before the Omicron wave, right before Christmas. That was pretty crazy, right? That was super crazy. That feels like ages ago. <laughs> I feel like I've aged 100 years since then. Yeah, but, well, that's just crypto for you, I suppose. <laughs> I know, especially with markets nowadays. <laughs> Could you perhaps tell our audience what exactly do you do uh, and how did you get into crypto in the first place? I think that would be a good introduction. Absolutely. So I work at Definity Foundation in ecosystem development. So Definity Foundation is a Swiss nonprofit with a mandate of creating the internet computer, which is a layer one blockchain platform. So in terms of my role, I try to get adoption from developers and creatives. With regards to developers, I help organize hackathons and create educational workshops and so on. With creatives, I've curated a bunch of NFT art galleries and helped feature their work. And in fact, at one of my art galleries last year in New York City during NFT NYC, I featured an artist where the annual income in her home country is $3,000. And in one evening during the course of the art gallery, she made $30,000. So that's one of the really inspiring things to me about Web3, this idea of wealth creation, this idea of really returning, I think, power back to creators. I think we'll definitely talk about Web3 and wealth, create, wealth creation. These are great um, keywords. But just before that, how exactly did you get into crypto? Where did you start out at? Like, was it TrackFi, Tech? Uh, what was it? Yeah, so um, I actually first heard about Bitcoin in 2013 when the price was $100, and I was just like totally dismissive of it, <laughs> to my regret. Um, but I started my career working at Goldman Sachs, first in risk management and then asset management, and quickly became disillusioned with the financial services industry and its inefficiencies and wanted to take on work that I thought had more impact. Um, and so I moved to Berlin to work for a startup there in the role of venture development. And while I was living in Berlin, this was in 2017, so the height of the ICO mania, I just became so fascinated with blockchain and crypto technology and its potential. And I just couldn't think of working for any other industry. So it seems like we started out at the same employer, funnily enough, in traditional finance. <laughs> yeah, but, that's right. Uh, so speaking about that, um, I suppose on your side as well, a lot of, of your friends are asking you now how to get into crypto from TratFi. And I suppose it's mm -hmm. similar to the influx of, you know, I suppose Californians going to Texas or New Yorkers going to Florida. Mm -hmm. So my question is, how right. do we, yeah, my question is how to prevent uh, crypto from being ruined by people like us? <laughs> <laughs> so I think, I think that's a great question. And there are a lot of parallels with the open source software movement. So um, similar to the open source software movement, Crypto started out as highly ideological, right? It's like a group of cypherpunks who had a particular ver uh, vision for the future. Um, and I think the unfortunate truth is that uh, with more mainstream adoption, you do get a little bit of that dilution of that ideology. But I think that's something that we can never forget in this space is like the core tenets of Web3, which include that of decentralization. So 
obviously, you know, there's a lot of money to be made and we see a lot of like big brands and tried by moving to the space. But unless I think any sort of concept upholds this idea of decentralization, it's not really Web3 in my point of view. So you've just mentioned Web3, right? Um, what mm-hmm. exactly is Web3? If you could provide some mm-hmm. concrete examples. Yeah, absolutely. I think to be able to fully understand Web3, you have to know the history of the two stages that came before. So Web1 is what we call the read-only web. So it's the first iteration of the web. It's you know mostly site-serving static content like GeoCities, you know, when people used to create personal blogs, uh, things like that, without too much richness or interactivity. And I would say a lot of the early creators were developers in Web1. In web and then you go to Web2, which is the read-write web. So this is the iteration of the web that I think most people are familiar with. You don't have to be a developer to participate. You can upload content to TikTok or Twitter and millions could see it. But the issue here is that value has accrued disproportionately to a handful of tech companies. And that is because of the current incentive models that exist, right? So number one, a company launches a project. Number two, um, a company like onboards as many users as possible. And then number three, the company then has to monetize and um with the state of the internet during Web2, there's only a couple of ways to monetize. It's either you sell ads or you sell personal data, or you know you can sell a subscription or something like that. The issue with advertising though, when it comes to the internet, is that it has become increasingly personalized with unintended consequences, I think for nation states as well. So a really good example of this is, uh, we're all familiar with Cambridge Analytica um, and the way that they manipulated elections. And I think one example that not a lot of people are aware of is that Cambridge Analytica contributed targeted advertising to manipulate an election in Trinidad and Tobago. So one political party, they actually created an ad campaign to encourage the youth of the opposing party to actually not vote. And they disguised it as a grassroots campaign and youth taking back their power. And it actually, you know, moved the election. Um, And I think that's really, really insidious, especially when you try to convince people from another side that this idea is coming from them organically. Um, so the problems with Web2 are as follows, you know, value doesn't accrue to the user, um, it's centralized, so content can be censored and, you know, decisions can be made at a product level of the platform that you have no ability to sway or control. Number three, I think there are privacy issues because users don't control their own data. So all of that <laughs> takes us to Web3 today, which is what we call the read, write, and own web. So Web3 applications, they run on decentralized networks of of nodes, uh, and cryptocurrency provides financial incentives native to the internet for those who want to be able to participate in this new economy. And I think what's really interesting is that for users of these applications, not only can they contribute content, but they also become owners as well. So value accrues to the owner. So I think we are mostly talking about here about wealth creation, right? Um, And obviously... Yeah. yeah, yeah, and obviously, I mean, Web2 has also created wealth for a lot of people, not just the top. Mm-hmm. I suppose back in the 70s, everybody knew like a handful of artists and they accrued all mm-hmm. the revenues. Whereas now you have TikTokers, you've got YouTubers, you've got people on, uh, on Twitch, etc. So they also accrue wealth. How is the wealth accumulation mm-hmm. in Web3 tangibly different from Web2? Uh, and maybe you could mention some projects and examples how it's kind of how it's pioneered in web three versus web two the main way in which monetization differs in web two versus web three is that in web three 
you really cut out the middleman. Whereas on Web2, you're still dependent on these centralized platforms like you know Spotify or YouTube or Facebook or whatever it might be. Um, so like, you know, back to this concept of like web one with like hobbyist websites like GeoCities, people were not monetizing. But as we move into the phase of web two with like TikTok and Instagram, there are ways to monetize. It's not like entirely within your control as a creator. Again, you're quite limited. It's like, there's like, uh, you know, brand sponsorships you can do. Some social media platforms don't even really give you a super easy way to monetize. Like for example, on Twitter, I have a tweet that got a million impressions and there's like no monetary outside Mm. that I saw from that, right? Um, And as we move into, you know, Web 3.0, creators don't need to rely on ads or brand sponsorships to be able to monetize audiences directly. Um, And they don't actually, you know, even need to go through (laughs) centralized platforms at all. Um, Mark Andreessen has talked about the mistake of browsers not incorporating payments natively. And now with cryptocurrency, the internet actually has a digital you know, method of payment. So I find that to be really groundbreaking, not even just for creators in this new economy, but for our users as well. So in terms of wealth creation, how exactly does wealth creation occur in Web3 for both consumers and content creators, in your opinion? So that's a really interesting question because there are new models of wealth creation that exist in Web3 that could not exist in Web2. So if you look at Web2, it's like, who's making the money? It's the original investors in a particular company, the original entrepreneurs and developers. But in Web3, it's the users and the consumers that can also benefit from this as well. So a really good example of this is through airdrops. So Uniswap did one, ENS did one, DYDX did one. Most recently, LooksRare, the marketplace that stole OpenSea's Thunder did one. And it's something that is really, I think, beneficial to users and really encourages users to be the early adopters of a particular product or platform. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Like the idea of airdrops, namely you use a platform. Like imagine if you, for all that time you spent on Twitter or Facebook for like 10 years or something, and then you found out that now Mm -hmm. you're eligible for the Facebook token or the Twitter token, which Mm -hmm. should be up, like should be like worth billions of dollars at this point, market cap. That's a phenomenal concept, right? Like, uh, I work in oil and finance, right? And because mm-hmm. of the presence of an oil token, thousands of people popped up for the test net and main net to try it out, to give us feedback, which has never happened before, just because people expect there's going to be a token and they're going to receive that as a reward for their work. And that's just like, how, how often do you have a startup that just has 10,000 users, you know, in day one? Basically, that's impossible. And as you said, a token enables that at least. So that's pretty kind of powerful wealth creation for users as much as for content creators. Completely. And I think there are a lot of interesting applications too for creators. So for example, let's say you are, you know, a pop singer who has really grown their following. Like today, there's kind of no way to prove that you were one of the first like 100,000 fans of a particular artist. And there are also no upsides that you see from it, right? It's not like you get special access to parties. You know, there's no like badge of honor. The artist doesn't know who you are probably. but there are a lot of interesting models that are currently being explored. It's like, you know, what if, what if in purchasing a singer's like early like song or music related NFTs, I get to share in some income upside or they know who I am because we've eliminated the middlemen. There are a lot of like just super, super interesting and like rich dynamics that Web3 
enables between, I think, content creators and their audience. Yeah, I think there's at least an interesting, interesting social capital element involved. Like even if you're not getting any share of revenues of your favorite singer, just the fact that you've been there from the very beginning is really cool. It's like a digital Rolls Royce of sorts, you know, like you just want to show to people, hey, I've seen, I've been a fan of Muse since 1998 or some sort, of, uh, something like that. I think that that's why these things trade so well because social capital, I guess, like a Rolls Royce. Yeah, that's, that's a really great analogy. <laughs> and, um, you know, like decades ago, the singer David Bowie said that the advent of the internet fundamentally changed the relationship between artists and the audience and how much more so the introduction of crypto. So at DeFi Corn in Brooklyn, that was, I think, end of December or so. Um, I've attended it, and one of the speakers was Alex Mashinsky from Celsius, right, the co-founder. And it was kind of cool he came by, and he made a really good point. So he said, guys, we're talking about yields and 10,000 APYs, and that's all great. You know, We talk about different ecosystems. Hey, Solana guys. Hey, like Ethereum dudes, move to my roll-up, move to my protocol, get my APYs and stuff. And what he said was, at the end of the day, that's not the point. Like the point is, if we don't bring a lot of people on board, they're first going to regulate all of us because we're such a small market. And even though it doesn't matter how much in volumes we trade, what's the market cap of our project, you know, three people using it, it's not real, right? So the real focus should be bringing people on board into the world of crypto. So what kind of people are we actually targeting with Web3? Is there like a good example of people we want to get on board? And how do we kind of manage that while not becoming these kind of degens that just try to sell GPEGs to people and just look like idiots on Bloomberg headlines, you know? So that's a great question, right? And in my point of view, I think we've lost the plot a little bit as it pertains to crypto. You know, when I'm on crypto Twitter, it's like people talking about how do I get on the whitelist and I'm building NFTs. And on the DeFi side of things, it's like, how do I ape into these like five digit APYs? But that's not the reason why I got into crypto, right? I got into crypto because... I wanted to be part of a technological wave that made some sort of positive impact in the world. And just yesterday, I was talking to a university student who is based at Damascus. And he was saying that for him, very viscerally, he understood the importance of decentralization because where he lives, a lot of things are banned. For example, Zoom is banned. And for him, he saw how the power of Web2, enabled through social media, catalyzed Arab Spring in the Middle East and how much more Web3 could empower that region. And that's just the story of one person, you know, in the world. And when I think about if we're able to onboard millions of users and regions that we might not typically associate with Web3, how much more powerful that would be for our cause. Yeah, one of the big uh, kind of, um, one big leverage government, oppressive governments have over their people is the banking system, for instance. They can completely control the flow of capital and crypto just completely circumvents that especially if we're able to kind of create decentralized internet, uh, that would enable these people to do kind of what they want in spite of, you know, oppressive governments. So decentralization is a big theme in crypto too, right? And there's clearly uh, a benefit in being decentralized. We see that with blockchains. If you are a decentralized blockchain, whenever you're attacked, chances are you're going to survive it a lot better than the centralized blockchain. So there's clear kind of benefits in being decentralized. Now, there's a big theme now as well of decentralization of content. Like uh, you allow people to write some of the script, let's say, or you auction uh, some things as NFTs, like um, the credits, for instance, or whatnot. Um, what do you think are the benefits of decentralizing content creation? Do you think that's going to become like 
like normal. Uh, and what are the interesting kind of examples of decentralization of content that you think are quite new? And That's your question for why should we decentralize content creation? You can look no further than Web2 today, right? So as a content creator, you're reliant on decentralized platforms. For example, if you're a musician, you need to be on Spotify. But if you look at the economics of it, in 2020, only around 13,000 artists, out of over a million artists, by the way, made over $50,000 on Spotify because I think you only make a couple of pennies per stream. Even for the most mainstream of artists, that's not really like a sustainable way of making a living. Um, and how much more so for the, the little guy, right? And as a content creator, I think it just makes so much more sense to be able to cut out the middleman completely and reach out to your audience directly. A concrete example of decentralized content creation is actually a project that I'm contributing toward called Mad Realities. And we are creating the first crypto-enabled a uh, reality TV dating show called Proof of Love. So I, I'm just so passionate about this. Essentially, a lot of people say we're in the golden era of television and film. But if you really think about it, like what benefits does the viewer have? I mean, you have more personalized algorithms and I guess it's more convenient because you can, you know, watch your favorite shows like on your phone or in TV or whatever it might be, but fundamentally, I think the relationship between viewers and the production studios that exist have not changed like since ever, right? Like you don't have any say over what happens in the next season with like your favorite character. You don't really have any opportunities to really benefit from being a fan, even if you are somebody who's super active in the community. For example, I'm like a big fan of Secession. You know, when the season's airing after every episode, I'm on the subreddit, like there's a ton of memes, there's a ton of like great discussions, like people, the spewing parties and things like that. And there's no way for HBO to ever know like really who's in charge of this. And you have no way of really like reaping any upside from that. And I think what's really interesting about Mad Realities is that we're fundamentally trying to deepen the relationship between creator and audience. So recently we sold 100 ETH worth of NFTs. And these NFTs confer certain benefits to the users. So for example, they can help pick, you know, what sort of data activities these contestants are participating in. They can vote on what contestants appear on the show and like who's the host. You can choose even small details like the color of someone's dress for a particular episode. Um, and the list goes on and on. And this is really just the beginning too. And I think that in, year, in the years to come, Hollywood is really going to take a page out of this playbook. Wow, it sounds actually reality TV shows is the perfect way to implement NFTs because it's like a governance kind of architecture there, choosing who's the host, as you said, or maybe uh, a fast track to auditioning of sorts. Uh, or mm -hmm. like, uh, I mean, I, it's a stupid example maybe, but face swapping, you know, uh, onto one of the extras yeah. or something. As I mentioned, as the years go on, I think the lines are going to blur quite a bit between the creator and, and the audience as it pertains to entertainment. And also on top of all of that, I think that Web3 can be a space that's very sort of daunting, right? And if we want to be able to get that sort of mainstream adoption, I think that the industry, uh, sorry, um, let me, basically what I want to say is that I think the entertainment industry is one that's like an easy barrier to entry for a lot of people. You know what I mean? Like if you're just like, hey, like decentralization is important and like download a MetaMask, I think that not a lot of people might see like why. But if you're like, hey, you can be, you know, co-creator in like your favorite show. I think a lot of people are like, hell yeah. So in terms of the content creators, like your Twitches, your TikTokers, um, what's the best way you think they can lever leverage Web3 and crypto, in your opinion, through perhaps an example? 
So the main problem with centralized platforms today is that you, as a content creator, could spend years building up your fan base and be deplatformed with no notice at all. And the issue is that because these different centralized platforms are siloed ecosystems, you can't port over your content or your audience, right? Like, for example, when I'm scrolling Twitter, even something like a TikTok video is not natively embedded. It's like somebody needs to take a screen share with their phone and then like manually upload that video to Twitter because even between these two ecosystems, you can't port over content. So um, that poses very real dangers for content creators, even some of the most famous ones. So um, if you're familiar with Belle Delphine, she's one of the most famous internet personalities. She's created some adult content. She is really famous for this e-girl persona that I think has influenced a ton of other influencers online. Uh, even for her, YouTube did ban her temporarily for her sexually explicit content. And she had written on Twitter saying like, okay, but what about Cardi B's WAP, for example? That's also sexual content. What makes you the ar moral arbiter between like why my content crosses a line and why Cardi B's content doesn't cross a line? And overall, I think this message resonates, right? Like all of these big tech companies, should they be the ones dictating moral standards in our society? And I think the answer is a resounding no. Yeah. So for content creators like Belle Delphine, you know, not even just within the adult industry, but just any sort of creative industry at large, one of the primary upsides, I think, of Web3 is that through something like NFTs, you always get to capture the upside of secondary market sales. And then on top of that, because all of this content exists on the blockchain, there's no way for it to be censored or deleted. Yeah, that's actually a great example because even if you... Uh, I mean, it's not possible yet in terms of like, putting really high level data and audio and video on the blockchain. It's mostly ownership data, I suppose. But actually with ICP, I think you are able to do that. Am I right? That like you can actually like put in this yeah. like viewership and audio video on ICP. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Um, there are NFTs on the IC that are like several gigabytes in size. Cool. So like, because I know Bill Delphine sells like her bath water as, uh, not as an NFT, but simply like she does that. She makes apparently lots of money from that. But she could theoretically sell that as an NFT, prove ownership on Ethereum and add some sort of digital stuff on audio, as audio video on ICP. And that would never really be uh, banned by anybody because uh, it lives in the blockchain unlike Web2. Absolutely. And I definitely think there would be appetite for that kind of NFT. I mean, if you look at Irene Zhao and how much these Irene Zhao NFTs have sold for, this is a very real, you know, um, audience that's captive. So adult content, as we know, is huge in Web2, right? If you go on any, I mean, if you go on any porn site, there's like billions of views compared to YouTube. Like it's ridiculous, right? So how come though, uh, this never really took off in Web3 or at least yet? Like we had, well, we, you know, we had Cum Rockets, we had Spank Chain, that kind of stuff. Not that I follow much, but you know, if you, what, what do you think is lacking for adult content to kind of start developing on Web3? Because it, it's potentially a huge industry, right? Yeah, absolutely. And like you referenced, I do think there are some early use cases such as Sync Chain. I think the thing is though, for users to move from one technological paradigm to another, there needs to be like a 10X in terms of improving the experience. You know, going back to my previous example of the er one of the early use cases of film being like literally filming plays, it's like that's not that innovative. 
or one of the early use cases of Web1 was like, I have a physical physical newspaper, and now here's a digital newspaper. I mean, it's it's cool, but it's not like a 10x you know experience improvement overall. I think what will be interesting, not in the world. Oh, hold on, let me start that sentence over. I think what will be really interesting, not just in the world of adult content creation, but just general entertainment, whether that's gaming, you know, films, TV, is this confluence of AR and VR, also audience participation through Web3 crypto and NFTs, and how that all shapes up together to change the world of entertainment as we know it. Would you argue that there's also a structural issue with public blockchains? The fact that everything's public kind of means like you don't have a private mode. Like, what is the solution there? Like some sort of a privacy blockchain, I assume? What do you think? Yeah, I definitely think privacy is a very big issue right now, right? Not even just in terms of like content consumption, but, you know, healthcare records or your financial records. You know, do I really want everyone to be able to see like what I'm sending to whom? And in the future, if I'm paid in crypto, I don't want people to see like everyone's payroll, Mm. you know, transparently on chain. So I would say that's definitely a structural issue um, that we have to grapple with. So guys, um, one of the biggest crypto conference this year called ETH Denver is around the corner. It's in the middle of February. And while that's fantastic and it's a great opportunity for all of us to meet and talk and have a good time, a lot of people are not able to kind of partake in that, unfortunately. Namely, just, you know, undergraduate students who just don't have the means to fly all the way to Denver and just, you know, enjoy their time with us. And that's why Liz and I came up with a really cool idea to help those guys out. Yeah, so basically, um, the root of the idea came from when we were both at LizCon and I met a couple of young people there who were there on a scholarship from Padawan Dow which seeks to fund people to travel to crypto conferences who are under the age of 25. And they were just so excited to be there for a lot of them. It was their first foray into Web3 and meeting all of these notable people within the ecosystem. And I just love that because I think that this fresh blood is like the future of Web3. Um, So what Seraphim and I had talked about was releasing a series of NFTs to help fundraise, um, you know, the travel costs for some of these students to attend ETH Denver. Which is why we're going to do uh, an NFT raise in the next coming days. Stay tuned. We'll announce the details shortly. But through purchasing that NFT, you're basically going to enable these kind of bright students to attend ETH Denver and have a good time with all of us. So I think if we channel even a tiny portion of the entire crypto ecosystem into this kind of cause, I think we can create a lot of innovation that's good for everyone. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, me too. All right, Liz, thanks for coming over. Do you have anything else to add before we wrap Uh, up? Nothing to add. I really enjoyed the conversation as always with you, Seraphine. And if anyone wants to get in touch with me, you can follow me on Twitter at at Liz Wang. That's W-H-I-Z-W-A-N-G. All right, thanks a lot. I'll see you soon. Thank you. Bye. That was Liz Yang from Dfinity. Thanks for listening to the podcast. You can find the Twitter and YouTube links in the description. Thank you.